As Jacob mentioned, our guest tonight is Ed Solomon. Uh, we're very thrilled to have him here for an evening to discuss the art and craft of screenwriting. Ed began his career in college as a joke writer and stand-up comedian. He soon went on to write television and film, working on the groundbreaking It's Gary Shandling show, which I was a huge fan of, as well as the cult hit Bill and Ted film series, co-written with Chris Matheson. Additional screenwriting credits include Men in Black and the Now You See Me movies, among many others. In 2017, he teamed with director Steve Soderbergh and HBO for the first of its kind branching narrative television series Mosaic, which was released as an app in November 2017 and then as a limited run series on HBO in January of 2018. After that, he wrote the script for No Sudden Move for director Soderbergh and producer Casey Silver. It debuted at Tribeca and received rave reviews from critics and can be found on HBO Max. And I watched it the other night. It's fantastic. Uh, he is currently in post-production on another limited series for HBO and Soderbergh. That show, Full Circle, will star Claire Danes, Zacy Beats, Dennis Quaid, Timothy Oliphant, Gerald Jerome, CCH Pounder, and Jim Gaffigan. Wow, sounds great. It will air on HBO Max in July of 2023. So thanks for being here, Ed. You're welcome. I assume everyone can hear me okay. We it was it was me who had uh, the uh, technical uh, difficulties logging on. So I apologize for starting a few minutes late. No worries at all, and we can hear you just fine and see you just fine. So we have a lot of questions lined up, and I know that uh, the students are are eager to ask questions as well. But I'm going to hog the spotlight here at first um, by asking you. Um, how did you get to be where you are today? What was your path to screenwriting? Did you know that you always wanted to be a screenwriter? Did you kind of stumble into it? Tell us, tell us if you can, how, how you ended up where you are today. I think I made a mistake early in my career. I mean, I know I've, I know I've had a long career and I think I probably, uh, and I'm very grateful for that, but I think if I were starting again, I wouldn't have gone into screenwriting as the primary thing for myself. I did it because at the time it seemed like it seemed like the apotheosis of what a writer was. But I, I realized in hindsight, screenwriting for me was more um, it involved a set of like life compromises that I, I, I regret. And what I mean by that is um, as a screenwriter, you and I don't want to discourage people from going into screenwriting, but I would say, and we could talk about this, Paul, maybe after, I would say with certain caveats, go into it with your eyes open. And I would talk, I'm happy to talk about that. But for me, the ultimate problem with that was your day-to-day -day life, which is really, to me, all we really have control over, which is word for word, sentence for sentence, what we are, what we are writing, you go through the processes of a so-called quote-unquote real writer, but the results in a screenwriting life are uh, that you end up with a kind of corporate art that may or may not reflect what you wrote. And if that's important to you, that the words that you're writing are coming as close to the ear or the eye of the, the, the viewer or reader, I think screenwriting is something you need to enter into uh, uh, cautiously. 
because what you the, the process is the same process any artist will go through the you know any writer will go through the work is really hard making that script as great as you can make it takes a lot of you know discipline and you know skill and craft but at the end of the day you you know i would have worked for a year on something five years on something um to have it read by just a handful of people and what i've ended up having to justify it or the way i deal with it for myself is there's the stuff that got made that has my name on it that's kind of a, a cousin of me and my work and sometimes it's close and sometimes it's far from what i imagined it to be sometimes it's better than i thought it would be sometimes it's less good um but the actual work is essentially anonymous like what i really write is just for myself and a few others and that's what has sustained me um i think there are reasons my career has lasted maybe that have to do with a, a kind of insecurity and ambition in used in combination uh which i can talk about as well paul if you remember any of this because i won't <laughs> okay um <laughs> But uh, I would say to just add the caveats, seeing a movie in a theater with an audience that, you know, something that you wrote is a wonderful experience, especially if you feel like it's your words. I would say if you're really serious about being in the film part, or at least film as we've understood it up to now, and things are changing a lot now. Yeah, with we're also going to talk about is, that. Yeah. I would say work closely with the person that is going to direct the piece as much as you can, especially, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that is like when I work with Steven, I've worked, obviously I have a lot of respect for, for him. We've worked on multiple, you know, this is our third project with me as writer and him as director. We have a shorthand. I understand, you know, I trust him. Um, but it's, and it's often difficult to do that, especially as you first start out. You know, it's it's really tough to like be able to be selective, et cetera, et cetera. But just be aware if what you're doing is screenwriting, that that is going to be an issue. In television, it's different. The writer is more king. In theater, it's different. The you know king or queen, I shouldn't say king. You know, obviously, in theater, it's different. Um, you know, novels, obviously, it's it's different. Um, the other thing that I would have done differently, and then I, I will move on to let Paul ask another question is I would have curated the people I worked with a little more uh carefully meaning what I've realized especially in the back half of my career when I've gotten an opportunity to work with better people as my work has grown uh exponentially when I work with people the better a person is that I'm working with, the better my work is when I come out the other side of it. It can be very easy to surround yourself with people who make you feel good about what you do. And I think finding the balance of support and also people that'll push you harder, I think is a really important thing. And when you're first starting out, that's like, who do you have read your work and who, whose opinions do you seek out? But to the best of one, my ability, I, I wish that I had taking tougher routes in order to be surrounded with better people at times anyway but uh, um 
I mean, all of those things are kind of lessons learned in in retrospect, right? You you it seems it yeah. seems like you're being a little hard on yourself, uh, you know, because you're mm-hmm. you're a young writer starting out and you're going to take what opportunities come your way. Um, it, it, do you do you do you feel like if if you had been able to do it over, you would you would have become a different kind of writer? Would you have gone into into television or 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 uh, or theater or written novels rather than being a screenwriter? I think I would have pursued things. How do I put it? I've always walked a a line between having faith in what I was writing and needing outside opinions to let me know that it was okay. And I think I would have had more faith in my own internal voice. Um, Had I had a little more confidence, I probably would have allowed myself to be more exposed as a writer, meaning done more theater, um, done more, you know, novel writing as you you do, Paul, uh, as well. Um, But I didn't have the confidence. And I think I developed certain skills that um, are, that were craft oriented and, and less voice oriented until later in my, in my career. I, I, I got lucky, I would say, on some early things um, in that they they uh, they were successful enough for me to keep working. Um, But I. uh, Yeah, I and and by the way, you didn't quite ask this question, but. I'm going to answer it in the different and say. Probably if I'd made other choices. I'd ended up in the similar spot. Like, like right. <laughs> if I'd said no to what I said, yes, if I'd started going one way, you know, who knows, right? We are who we are and we just, yeah. you know. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The other thing I want to ask you about is because I do remember something that you said uh, five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, that's another matter. Mm-hmm. But um, you, you mentioned the, the kind of mix of insecurity and ambition. And I kind of pictured each of those sort of slingshotting you forward in your in your career, um, a kind of a strange dance or equilibrium between them. Um, and I know a lot of our students, I mean, one of the things we talk about is imposter syndrome, the feeling that you, you, you're not good enough or you don't belong. Uh, and I think a lot of writers do struggle with insecurity on the one hand and ambition on the other, because um, you've got to have ambition just to deal with the, the, the inevitable setbacks that come your way. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that, that balance for you? Yeah, it's not just in, insecurity and ambition. It's insecurity and uh, that weird arrogance we all feel, which is like that at the end, like that we actually have something worth a story worth telling. Right. Um, so to me, the 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 balance of I, I believe there's healthy insecurity and there's unhealthy insecurity and the healthy insecurity is kind of humility where you have both respect for what's come you know before you respect for people who are coming up behind you an ability and willingness to learn from everybody i think that's a kind of healthy version of it um the unhealthy insecurity is where that that inner voice that tells you your shit or that tells you the work you're doing is isn't good enough yet you know that that part 
the, the, the voice that especially early in your career where your creative uh, faculty, you know, facility is not as well developed as your critical eye. So the critical eye gets in there and it's like, this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. Like that, that can be really tough to work through and to manage. And I find that relationship has one is a life struggle. You know, the relationship between yourself and your inner voice. How do you, how, how do you, you know, metacognition, how do you think about, you know, what you, how do you think about how you think? Um, somebody just like, I just saw, it's hard for me to read all the stuff that, that comes across, but somebody just flashed across the screen. What if you really are terrible? Well, <laughs> we all could be. I mean, that's the thing. And any idea, you could write something that, that works and then something that doesn't work. To me, it's not about objectively whether you're good or not good. It's about, are, are you curious about the thing you're writing about and does it give you and and does is your curiosity slaked by writing about it and when you're writing about it and you know exploring an idea with coming up with characters and then a story and then maybe more characters and then the story's changing and now you're looking at the spine of the story and going what is it telling me it is is that process giving you some kind of joy or are you doing it so that other people will tell you you're good or are you doing it because you want to be able to say you have written and we never know if we're good or bad we never know if the work we're doing is good or bad all we know is am i making the story better and if so on what grounds and what are what are the uh, what is the criteria for which i'm judging it and Am I getting better at understanding my own process? Am I get, getting better at getting deeper on ideas? And am I getting better at being able to transcribe what's going on inside me into the page? And am I getting better at being able to look at what I've written and assess what is working and not working, et cetera, et cetera. To me, that is the journey. It's not, you know, when I get an agent, you know, I, all those things I think are important and we're all wondering about it's 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 is if I just able to kind of stick at it and keep making it better and keep making it better. And my my general experience is. Ultimately, when your work is up at a, a level, you'll start to feel different. You'll start to notice a difference in the way people are responding. But even with me having done this for many, 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 many decades. My work is never as good as I think it is in the moment. It's usually my work plus time, and then I look back at it and go, oh, shit, or my work plus other people's eyes, and other people read it and go, oh, shit, and then it becomes not about is my work good or bad. It's about how do I deal with the input from other people telling me it's not what I thought it was going to be, and how do I then know what to listen to and not listen to so that I can continue to make this better until it's quote unquote done. And how do you know when to walk away? So right. that, that that's to me the, the life journey of this thing. It's not by page 30, this has to happen by page 45, this has to happen. It's what's your relationship with how you think about your work and et cetera. I'll try to answer in shorter no, that's that's fantastic. I mean, I, what I love about that is that it, it's you're measuring your progress against against yourself rather than looking outwards and measuring it against 
you know, this other screenwriter has a big hit hit uh, movie or, you know, so-and-so's got an agent. Instead of instead of that, which is basically those kind of comparisons make you feel bad and make you feel like a loser. Whereas if you're if you're looking at your your own progress and gauging your own um, your own ability to improve, then I think you're on more solid ground. Not, not that that's an easy process to to get a handle on either. Um, well, I, I, practical point. Oh, sorry, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, please go ahead. Um, there was a significant upward the change in my uh, creative ability when a thing happened that seemed counterintuitive at the time, which is I spent a great deal of my early career comparing myself to everyone around me. That start is it starts when you first start out, and like there were people right out of the gate that were doing so much better than me. And I thought it was a failure. There were people doing worse. I thought it was a success, quote unquote, right? Worse, better, whatever. You know, early, you don't realize that people have their trajectories are completely unpredictable. Um, but there was a time, I mean, there was a, for a significant period of my career, and I'm not proud of this, but where I would somehow think that other people's success reflected negatively on my lack of success or made my success seem less valid or whatever. And in particular, I had a person, a friend that I competed with because he was my age. He was from where I was from, and he always seemed to be just ahead of me in everything, in every aspect. And I found myself actually sometimes unconsciously and sometimes consciously like thinking, I wish this guy would fail. And more and more thinking, I wish that person, you know, I started finding myself like rooting for other people to not succeed because somehow I would feel like it would, I don't know, it reflected negative, like their success reflected negatively on my, on my lack of or my success. But in the moment where I somehow had the realization, you know, this guy's actually a great writer. What if instead of me railing against that and comparing myself negatively, I look at what he's great at and go, can I learn from that? And what if I just said, the guy is fucking great. And I realized that applied to like seven or eight people. There's a woman, one of my closest friends, a brilliant writer. I was always coming up short in my comparison to her. But when I went, there's room for everyone. Wow, I need to actually... <laughs> I, first of all, I feel better when I'm actually rooting for people than rooting against them. Let's just start with that. But also it just that changed. It, it's one it's an inflection point that I can point to and go, wow, I actually got I got better once I got rid of that previous notion of comparing myself. And in fact, when I just let myself root for everyone around me, it just freed me completely. So for whatever that's worth. Um, anyway. Let's move yeah. on. I, I, I yeah. can see there's already like so many questions that we no, there's to get a, to, there's but I'm zillion, happy zillion to come questions. back another day and, and do this another time. So if that's of value. Um, uh, I'm going to, I think, by the way, what you said just now is extremely valuable to, for, for our, our students to hear. So I really appreciate your, your uh, sharing that. Uh, but that, now I'm going to just kind of pass it over to Jacob. We're going to tag team you all night, Ed. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Paul. Um, I had some. So I, I see a lot of people talking in the chat about competitions, and I have a couple thoughts about it later when you're ready. But go ahead. Oh, awesome. 
Okay, uh, well, I was actually going to go uh, back to some of the questions in the chat and stuff, and, and we've had a, a couple of that kind of uh, sent around this this general question, um, and that's that, you know, the industry is traditionally in Hollywood, California, or you're in New York, New York City, and, uh, but, you know, with the pandemic and the changes to the industry that have happened and, and you know, just the influx of how many television shows and movies and different studios there are out there and everything now, what advice or avenues would you have for those students who, you know, reside in Iowa but are pursuing a degree in screenwriting or those who um, might have a family and, they're, you know, they're situated in the Midwest, they're, t they're studying screenwriting, they might not have that ability to just pick everything up and move to Hollywood, right? Um, do you have any uh, suggestions or, or, or advice on, 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 on that kind of uh, thing? Um, the first thing, I think it is very, very overrated. Uh, it was before, and it is especially now, <laughs> the idea that one must li live in the company town, you know, uh, whether that's L.A., whether it's New York, London, whatever. There are advantages to it that make it a little harder to replicate when you're not. And the advantages are really there are more people doing what you're doing, which could also be a disadvantage, by the way. But the advantages, and this is a key and crucial thing, you can, the, remember how I say curate the people that you work with? When you're first starting out, it's curate, is, is create groups for yourself to be able to make work. This also applies to the thing I wanted to say about competitions, because I saw people, I saw them like, they sort of pop up on my screen and disappear, so I can't read them all, but I can see that they're about that. Um, if you think about it, when you look at writers that have really kind of emerged over the years, a lot of them, especially in film and you know, in television, emerged out of groups. You know, whether you go all the way back to, you know, Mel Brooks and Woody Allen, and you know, um, you know. Carl Reiner and like that kind of group all starting as a group or the Pythons or the whoever there's there's always people that knew each other when they were really young and started doing stuff or when they first started out I'm not talking about young in age I'm actually talking about young in sort of the in the trajectory of one's career um because we're all on the same continuum you know just just different amounts of time in it you know and so the key is to keep making work and that's why when i see people saying should i join a competition should i not should i you know the answer is yes to everything but the the but the deeper answer is the thing i don't like about competitions just per se is they they reinforce this idea that there are gates that you need to get through manned by the gatekeepers and that that's your path in. That's reinforced by the notion that you need to be in LA or New York secondarily. It's really not true at all. You One needs to be as creative about how they get their work out there as they are about their work in itself. I feel like you know competitions are one way and if a competition gets you to finish a script and turn it in, great, but that's, you're going to have a lower odds in a competition than you will in a um, in a scenario where you figure out how to get 
a piece of your work made and you post it or you, you know, you, you, you mount your plays or whatever. Um, which leads to this notion of networking, which I see people talking about. I think networking is usually absolutely misconstrued. People think of networking as sort of networking vertically, meaning meet gatekeepers. The true networking that, that I think one needs to do, especially early in one's career, but it's true throughout, is horizontally, meaning with other creatives, other people like yourself, where you can, like, spar, learn, you know, work with, get new ideas, grow. It's 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 those people who are going to have a bigger effect on your career going forward. It's as those people rise, you rise. It, it, how would I put it? It was all the stuff that I did in my career, like and Paul, you were asking this at the beginning, that was not the standard routes. It's the plays we mounted because we just wanted to put a play on and fuck it, the department won't let us mount the play through the, you know, we couldn't get it into the official source. Fine, we're going to put it on it over there and we're just going to make work happen and we're going to push ourselves. You know, I would say you will learn more about your writing and you will grow as a writer more by having the courage to actually take a script of yours and take a few scenes and get some actors, some friends, mount it and try and shoot a few scenes on your own. You will learn more by putting yourself out there and meeting more creative people in areas you're afraid of. For instance, a thing I, I think all screenwriters and writers and television writers, all narrative fiction writers should do is take acting classes. Even if you suck as an actor and don't want to act. Thinking as an actor thinks is really important. Understanding how an actor puts a scene together will help you more than having 10 people read a script and tell you what they think works and doesn't work. Mounting, acting in your own thing, directing your, your own thing, editing your own thing, even if you just take a few scenes, actually seeing it on its feet. Do what you put yourself, take an improv class, take two. You know, take a directing class, take an editing, put yourself in scenarios where you're expanding your, your toolkit and meeting other people who are creative. That is the networking. You know, that is the kind of networking that works. The networking that is sort of reinforces the stereotype that you need to go to this competition, you need to meet this agent, you need to meet this manager, that facilitates the manager's jobs. But really what you want to be doing is continuing to just grow your work and grow your work and grow your work. And nobody likes to hear this, but as long as you can keep growing it, because at a certain play, at a certain time, It'll be good enough that like people start coming to you and that's how you want things to be. But when will that happen? That's, you know, one needs the patience. So um, anyway, I'm right. going to take another well, question. No, I, Sorry. I, no, that was wonderful. I mean, I, I think that's just uh, wonderful to hear. And because a, a lot of the things that you pointed out, like like expanding your, your toolkit and everything, a lot of that can be done 
anywhere. You don't need to, again, move to Hollywood to like take an editing class. You can you can pursue that in a variety of ways. Um, you can find uh, and, and, and the idea of networking too, not not that vertical networking, not not Project Greenlight, not getting in your foot in the door in that way necessarily. I mean, it, there's a chance, of course, right? Writing competitions and stuff um, like that do promote it. But like finding that network around you to to actually pursue the art form and stuff is just it's wonderful to hear. Um, I guess on that note, I'm kind of curious, like you you, you had been, uh, you know, originally, I think Paul said it was a bit of a downer at the beginning and stuff talking about your career and everything. But I, I know that there are a lot of questions and stuff like you know, centered around like, what was your favorite project to work on? Like what, what, I guess, partner or, or, or group of people did you find um, especially helpful, like in terms of networking and stuff that, that kind of helped you um, promote your voice and vision uh, in screenwriting and in, in, in film? Well, again, it was the putting myself out there in every angle I possibly could. Um, you know, I was writing jokes, for comedians, I was performing stand-up, I was taking improv, I was taking writing classes, I was taking editing classes. I was not a theater major or a film major in college, I was an economics major, so it's not, you know, probably, I wish I'd done literature or um, something, because I think it would, that would have been the most helpful for me. But um, it was, okay, look, this is a tough thing to, I think, grasp but we think the thing we think that our career is decided in these big obvious moves like we get like a manager sees us and signs us or um we win or come in third in a competition or something like that and then and those are things that happen but the truth is you you how i don't know if this is gonna be too abstruse but the career path is full of these tiny micro choices you're making that you don't even know you're making. I'm gonna go to this festival, and I think I'm gonna go to this festival because I'm gonna like listen to someone speak, but you don't get into that class, you get in, I mean, or into that session, you go into this, you're in this other one, you're sitting next to somebody, you say something to them, you know, it, it makes them laugh, they run into you six months later at a thing, oh, you may, that they have a thought about you, you never know the thing that what is the thing that is going to make you like suddenly be discovered or make your work suddenly seen by someone. So to me, it's not about going down these certain prescribed paths. It's about just pushing all the time, saying yes to, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. Keep trying stuff. Keep making work. Keep making work. Trust that if you are really a writer, it's not about this um, particular script or project. It's about a lifetime of them. And so that, you know, it doesn't mean just dash your work out. It means work as hard as you can on stuff. But recognize that not one of them is 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 super precious. Um, for me. I would say it was joke writing. Well, my very first job was I'd written jokes and I'd written plays. And one of these plays that we put on against the rules 
um, I, one of the comedians, which was Gary Shandling, that I was writing jokes for, introduced me to a guy who was producing a TV show. And I invited him to this play that we just put on against the rules. And he came to the play. And I got hired on this TV show as a writer, a young writer who didn't really know what he was doing. Um, because I got hired on this show, I had met, I got a, to meet with a couple of agents. I chose a fancy agent because I thought that was the best way to go. It turned out that was a mistake, but I didn't realize that for like three years. Three years later, I had stayed in touch with the little agents, quote unquote, that had wanted to sign me as well at that time. And if it wasn't for the fact that I stayed in touch with that guy, um, that when ultimately my <laughs> the, uh, the, the wrong agent that I chose and we parted ways, that I he read the Bill and Ted script, which my fancy agents didn't like. He read it and liked it. And uh, then I was just staying in touch with the guy. And by the way, that wouldn't be something that you, one, would consider, quote, the right networking. He was, at the time, he was like a young assistant. You know, again, I, I want to say everyone's talking about networking, networking, networking. I, I, I swear to God, I got to say, be, be very clear with yourself about how you define networking. I, I cannot stress enough, it's creative networking. Would not have written that Bill and Ted script, which is the thing that really made my career change. Had I not been in an improv group with four friends that we did improv once a week without an audience, we didn't want an audience. We just wanted to push ourselves comedically. And in one random night on a like random Monday night when we were doing it, a random middle of the night, we just, uh, Chris goes, what if we do two guys who know nothing about history studying about history? And we just start fucking around as Bill and Ted in this thing. But we were not trying to like develop characters to be turned into a movie. We were just trying to push ourselves comedically. So we come up with these characters. We never think they're going to be in a movie. We just enjoy doing them. And it's and more than a year later, Maybe a year and a half later, we're like, oh, what if Bill and T what if we put Bill and Ted in a movie? What if they did the blah, 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 blah? And we we're like, oh, ha, 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 ha. And it made us laugh. My agents hated it. And then, you know, but the reason, but, but what I'm saying about that is, yeah, there was, I stayed in touch with this young agent. But the truth is, Bill and Ted wouldn't have happened had we not been just trying to make comedy with each other without an audience without result and had we been thinking during that time let's try to develop characters for a movie it would have never had any magic it was just we're enjoying doing these characters what if we take them another step you know we used to screw around as bill and ted anyway i should go to some other questions uh, awesome thank you and i mean Again, all great uh, advice that I, I think is is important to keep in mind. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Paul, though, uh, and let him I, take charge of a couple questions here. Yeah, I, I do have a question I pulled out of the chat. Um, what was your biggest creative professional hardship and how did you cope, learn and grow from it? I think that's a pretty good question. 
Well, the failures, this is going to sound glib, and I mean it, I mean it on a very deep level. Um, the failures have taught me way more than the successes. And there have been a lot of failures, a lot of failures, um, big ones, big public failures, private personal failures, um, you know, movies that I thought would do really well that flopped scripts that I really loved that got rejected, you know, mistakes I made creatively, professionally, you know, um, they taught me way more than the successes. And in fact, if I, if I were to look back, I, I think if I were, probably could trace more of my longevity to the failures than the successes. The successes are necessary because after a while, no one will pay you <laughs> to write, you know, if you only have failures. But it was the, the failures and then the returning after the failure to try more. Um, and, and, you know, being able to actually look at what did I learn about myself in the process? Where was it my fault? Where was it not my fault? Where was, you know, what could I have done differently? You know, this script isn't working, but I feel like there's a good idea here. I haven't quite got it yet. You know, you, one could make the argument that you're failing the entire process until it actually works, you know, how do you know to keep with it? Like, or how do you know when to put it aside and move on to something else? Um, so I learned a lot from a movie I directed bombing. I learned a lot. I took my name off of the movie X-Men because my head was up my ass for a variety of reasons. Um, I was like, shit, that was a big, stupid mistake. <laughs> the first one. And I was like, but I got to figure out why I'm making these kinds of choices. I took a sabbatical and I got into meditation and it sort of changed. I like, you know, it was super helpful for me as, as a person, but one could make the argument that as a career move, it was like really, really, really boneheaded. I still regret it. I still think it was a stupid, you know, thing to do. Um, well, luckily you seem to have the, bounced back okay. Yeah, but I didn't think I would at the time. You know, it felt yep. like a career-ending decision. But, but it for it, you know, um, yeah. Ed, you see, you seem to be a guy that um, you study yourself with the same degree of um, of uh, attention <laughs> that you that you apply to your scripts. Oh. It, which it's not, I mean, yeah, maybe, but like, what is our job? We're sitting by ourselves trying to, like, we're trying to marshal our own brain, you know, into making something. And then, you know, to, to me, this, this job is so much about your relationship to how you think and how you feel. Like, to me, that's what this job is. It's how do you, okay, when you, when you, when somebody is um, giving you feedback that might be negative, what's your emotional response to that? Because most of your feedback is going to be negative or it's not going to always, it's very rare that everyone's going to go, this thing is fucking great as it is, leave it. And 
I've never read anything so great. Most of the time you're going to get, okay, this worked, this didn't work, or I don't get this here. I don't, you know, and so how do you react to that? Do, do, do you, what, what's the voice in your head? How do you, how do you accept criticism and how do you make your script better? How do you make your career better? How do you, what's your relationship to your emotional life so that your emotions work for you instead of against you? Because your anxiety, your fear, your anger, your sense of disillusionment, you know, disappointment, because that's what you're going to feel most of the time. How do you make all that work for you? How do you make your, like for me, it's like if somebody doesn't like something that I wrote. It's really hard. It's just as hard now as it was early. So how do I let that disappointment that the work I did didn't result in the result I wanted make the script better? Well, it gives if I can live in that disappointment and really feel the sadness instead of trying to that try to push the sadness away by trying to maybe solve it too fast to get rid of my anxiety, let's say, it kind of makes me more humble and open to new ideas. The anxiety that I feel like, you know, or fear could be the thing that motivates me to get moving again. The anger is sometimes I can use to go, all right, you know, I can I can turn that anger toward the script. And sometimes when you're mad at a script, you can break it apart more easily. Um, you know, you in other words, you one gets used to and again, one needs some time for this. But like if, if one can get used to recycling these emotional states that we feel all the time in back into the work, that can be a really. Um, valuable. So when you say study yourself, I don't look at it as studying myself. I'm always trying to go. There's there's thinking about how you think and then there's thinking about thinking about how you think. Yeah, that is a big part of the job is, well, how do I react emotionally? You know, when do I react emotionally? When am I when is my writing emotional and when do I get out of it? When do I when does it when is it smart for it to be? intellectual so to speak or you know right brain or left brain however you want to look at it it's it's navigating all the time between these these states that is to me the, the difficult thing anyone can make a plot point happen on page 10 you know if you just they're they're, they're i'm not that isn't the issue the issue is more longevity and how do you um how do you learn how to get the most out of yourself? And then more importantly, how do you learn how to deal with people's reactions to your stuff so that you can always make it better and you can listen to, you know, um, okay, I'll move on. Well, that was great. Thank you very much. Jacob, do you have another, uh, another question? I can keep going if, if we, uh, let me let me do one. Let me do one more question. Okay. Um, uh, Ed, do you feel that you're that you have a particular style as a screenwriter? Has ha, ha, has that style 
And if so, has that style always been there? Can you see like a consistent thread through your films or do you think that your your film, I mean, earlier you mentioned that you felt like uh, your work had improved. Um, I, I certainly noticed a difference in some of your your later films. The films that you made with uh, Soderbergh, for example, seem to seem like they're I don't want to say more ambitious, but they're kind of, they they just seem like uh, pointing in a different direction, maybe a new direction for you as a as a writer. Um, I I don't think in terms of my own style. I just think in terms of what am I curious about and interested in, and I trust that the style will follow it. I think that that if all your if 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 what you're trying to do instead of thinking of yourself is just to focus on the work that you're making and trying to assess or hear what it is trying to tell you. Like a lot of people I know have kids that are here. I can tell by people talking about their ages and also just what you were saying. Um, to me, it's a lot like the style of the script is a lot like the, the style of your child. Um, before I had kids, I thought having a child would be this a certain way. And and um, I had a, my first child and then I was like, oh, I guess he's going to tell me what he is um, right. going to be. And my job as a parent is not to try and force him to be the boy I, I thought a boy would be it was to listen to him tell me and observe him like what is my best way to guide him into the best person he's going to be and then when my daughter was born wow very 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 different person and ironically i was talking to my daughter last night about writing style because she was looking at i was showing her full circle because we were we were both actually she, i wasn't showing it to her i was watch, I had to watch it for edit notes and just walk through um but you know to me it's about what is the essential like the best way to tell this story and the voices that will sort of people it out and then i think your style become your style is something that you have very little control over if you are pursuing with integrity the idea itself. What is the best iteration of the idea? Your characters are going to have your voice some way. You know, it's just you can't avoid that. But I can't. I never get too hung up on what is my style. In fact, when I have done that, I think it's kind of hurt me. Um, because you get too self-conscious. Uh, yeah, you get self-conscious, and you you become the the uh, object, not the mm-hmm. the thing you're writing. It's like about and, it's it's like about yeah. Well, I mean, in in an industry that demands a lot of collaboration and stuff, I I suppose as well that that is something you do, you don't want to get too married to your voice in the script because it might change, correct? And and how do you navigate that? I mean, uh, like because it sounds like sometimes I mean, you have a vision for specific projects or ideas and stuff, and 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 you put them forward, and um you know I'm sure there are different ways in which. Um, this is approached by different the different people that you're working with and stuff. Some might say, you know, can we change this line here or change that line there? I noticed um, with Men in Black, originally it was going to be underground, but then um, the the uh, director for that film, Barry Sonnenfeld, said, you know what, I want it in New York City. Let's do it in New York City, which seems like a big change if you're if you're writing the script out and everything. 
So how do you navigate that? I mean, with your voice and, and, and everything like, you know, the, the idea of having to give up maybe your voice for the greater uh, production, I suppose. Um, uh, hang on, just writing a note down here. Um, well, you know, you got to think to what there's a difference between story and plot. Um, the plot of Men in Black changed tremendously. The story didn't change at all. Hmm. Um, the Barry said it in New York. I had said it all across the country. Um, the one biggest change that was a significant change was I wanted a more philosophical third act, which was probably wrong. The producers wanted more like guys with guns and bug. I never liked the third act of Men in Black so much. Um, but the story itself was essentially the same. It was a cocky younger agent gets recruited into this world by a more cocksure, you know, but more vet, you know, cards to his chest um, person. And then we, the audience get led into this world through the eyes of this new newbie um, who then is forced to join, you know, then, then makes the choice to give up his life and join this thing. Um, and then starts to get the humility basically beaten into him. Um, and my, uh, my third act was still about what the third act is about, which is we, we as people don't really know what's really going on and we think our lives are the most important things and maybe they're not. But um, the story never changed. It was about a guy trying to replace his you know, himself with a younger person. I mean, at the end of the day, that story stayed the same. The plot just moved into New York. Barry wanted to do more like French. He said, we, we, the first thing we did when he got on the movie was we screened French Connection and he goes, like that, but with aliens. Yeah. It's like, oh, got it. Okay. A little <laughs> bit more of a buddy cop movie in your mind. That's fine. The plot, you know, was changed. The story was the same. And similarly, I feel like collaborating with other people, which you do a lot in any of performative arts, you know, even in theater, you're always collaborating. So it becomes uh, how how do you develop a, a, the way to know what's worth quote unquote fighting for and what's worth uh, shifting, you know, and so what is the thing one is fighting for? And that all comes back down to how do you deal with notes? How do you, you know? Um, and to me, the key, it's about, goes back down to um, how you deal with your emotions, which is to say, how are you able to hear what somebody is saying understand what's underneath what they're saying, either whether it's a problem they're having, like a studio or a network or producers or whatever, and go and not be trying to please them by doing exactly what they're saying prescriptively, but rather go, I hear what they're saying. It's not affecting me emotionally, so I'm not going, fuck you, you're wrong. Like, you know, which is my first response all the time because it comes from hurt. It's to go, 
and I saw someone just say, focus on the solutions, not the problems. I would say focus more on the problems. The real key is don't try to solve it too fast. Solving something is what relieves us of our anxiety. Oh, so our brain has, has come up with a solution. Um, I feel less anxious now. To me, it's it's 95% understanding what the actual problem is. And that means listening to enough people or listening to yourself and like going, okay, what is the real issue here? And that is how, a, that's about not letting your emotions get you in a bad way, but trusting your emotions that are telling you something is correct. Um, you know, you're just working with many, many people to get something made. If you're not writing a novel, you know, you're, you're, you're working with a lot of people. So how do you, and you need those people, you know, whether it's film or TV or theater, you need people who are good, who are going to execute your vision or who are going to make it their vision and you're going to support their vision, you know, or whatever. It depends on, that's what I meant early in the, talk about I probably would have gone more into lines of work where it was a little bit more my vision but um it's that's why I would say take an acting class I know at the end of the day you're trying to create work as a writer as a screenwriter or a tv writer or a playwright so when you're writing kind of whatever you know performative fiction or narrative fiction or whatever you would call it. You're trying to create work that will attract the highest level of talent to your work. I mean, this is very cynical, but it's really true. That will attract the highest level of talent to your work so that your collaborators will elevate the project and elevate you. And so that when you get, for me, when I get out the other end of it, I'll be a better writer, etc. How do you do that? You need to know how to create stories that are riveting, if there's meant to be riveting, that are tense, if they're meant to be tense, that are funny, if they're meant to be funny. There's like a whole craft element to that. But you also need to know how to write so that an actor can sink their teeth into it. So that if you're not directing it, a director will, will understand why, you know, will be drawn to it. Um, and how do you do that? It's really, it's down to a very basic thing. What do your characters want? You know, it's, it's really down to basics of writing. Like, like, what does your character want? Is this a performable thing? Is this an actable thing? What, there's nothing wrong with thinking what would be cool next? You know, what would be, what's, what, what would be the coolest way to solve this problem? You know, and then, there's a whole other level of um, much more complex, you know, it took me 40 years to figure out stuff. But like, I believe, you know, in my office here is, you know, stuff I, I use on boards to sort of break story down and stuff like that. I know people were, there are a lot of questions about writer's block and various things. Um, Just a couple quick things I'll throw out. Um, aside from like groups, join a group, join writers, put them together, put as many, you know. Um, 
I believe we write from so many multiple parts of our brain. Like we're not, you know, so I, I try to be up on my feet, put things on the wall. I know I think differently when I'm writing on the wall than when I'm writing in a notepad or when I'm typing. I find different parts of my brain get triggered, get activated. I find that when I speak to about an idea, I'm using another part of my brain. I try to utilize all those different elements. I try to, I, I don't always write in the same spot, but I might for like a run stay in the same spot, but I might go to a different restaurant to sit and think for a while. I find that testing and trying as many different ways to do something can open up things. I find writer's block, uh, one little trick, it's just an easy little trick that, that often works for me. I've got two, two, two of them. One is try writing about the problem you're having, um, literally writing about it. And for me, what I will often do is go, man, literally, M-A-N, comma, I am really struggling with this. I know, you know, I felt like this was a good idea, but now I don't, don't know what I'm doing. And every time I try to, and, you know, and you just type, you just write that long enough, something gradually breaks. I found that to be true. The other thing I found to be true is to be able to recognize, you know what, I'm not solving it now. I'm going to let me let my unconscious do some work. Like, so you can actually kind of stop and go, I'm going to like stop on this for a week, for the weekend, till tomorrow, whatever it is. And sometimes giving yourself a little, like a little um, objective, like, um, you know, like tomorrow at noon when I start again, or Monday after the weekend when I start again, I'm going to have an answer. It may not be the solution to the scene, but sometimes it's you're thinking about this wrong or you're asking the wrong questions. Usually an answer does arrive. The other thing I would say is a lot of times when we get into the screenwriting software, we get blocked when we get into or when we go, OK, I'm sitting down to write. We get blocked. <laughs> it's that act of like, yeah, stream of consciousness, I think, is a big deal, but also needs to be regulated. Um, but like sometimes when we are now writing. Like it suddenly gets important and it's like I only have two hours today to write. Or or I told my parents, like, I was going to take a year to try this writing thing. And I'm at month 11. You know, there's all these pressures that we put on ourselves. But sometimes when you sit down to quote, write or capital W, write, It feels important. And suddenly, it, you know, it implodes. Another trick I have used is to write an outline in an email form. Or in text. I know that might seem weird. But I guarantee you, when you're walking down the street and texting your friend, you're not having trouble, you know, coming up with words. You're still conveying your ideas that through, a, through a medium that doesn't make you nervous. Sometimes I find emailing just sometimes to myself, like releases that sense of it being important or just fucking with my thumbs, texting a few ideas. Mm -hmm. Or picking up my phone and, and talking into the voice record thing, even if I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, you know, there are ways to trick yourself out of the writer's block. Um, but you have to believe 
that it's that by by moving the ideas will come you know you have to know that and that you also have to trust that some bad shit's going to happen for quite a while um and i may not get it right away and that's where i'm going to say one last thing about this thing which is that's where i think a lot of what people teach which is you have to be super passionate about something or you have to have um inspiration I think can really mess you up. I actually think, you know, I, I don't think it's passion that you have to have. It's curiosity. It's interest. You just need to be interested in something and follow that. Um, and in terms of inspiration, I think it really screws people up because they think I can't get out of this writer's block until I'm inspired or whatever. To me, the notion that you need to be inspired is the thing that will make you realize that nothing I'm doing is that great because it just doesn't feel inspired yet. Sometimes it's just about putting words in front of each other for a while till something breaks. Um, I mean, in, in a way, it's a job. It, yeah, that doesn't mean you're a hack. It just means you treat it. It means that your responsibility to the work is to understand the process, understand your process, have patience, diligence, discipline. The thing, especially when it's not your, your, your main way of making a living, but I will say it still happens when it's your main way of making a living. But the hard part when it isn't is sometimes it's hard to keep, keep motivated. And keep having faith but the real hard part when you're it's not your sole way of making a living is you don't have the time yeah um and so there are two fights that you have to be willing to fight and they can be bloody and they can be violent one is for the time to write and convincing your partner your kids or yourself that this time is worth even if i don't make progress quote unquote right away you've got to give i personally need three to four hour chunks i unless i'm just doing like rewriting something or you know or in a certain stage of dialogue or something i can't write in less than two hour chunks for sure i know i need that time and part of the reason i need that time is i need time for stuff to not happen or not work you know or just to be mulling and you need to figure out how much time you need and then you got to fight for that and that can be really hard that's why early in my life, I developed the idea. I developed the idea of this. I developed the idea of it. For myself, I realized I needed an office or somewhere to go because I needed a place to go where I could lie on my couch and, and, or surf the internet or, you know, be not appearing to be being um, productive so that people wouldn't bother me. So I could like give myself those few hour, you know, breaks that I needed, time breaks. So, um, one of the fights is for time. You got it's a violent fight. You have to really fight for it. And then you have to be, then you have to, within that time, be allow yourself to not be as productive as you might think being productive is. It's not page count. And sometimes it's just mulling for a few days and then it breaks through. Um, and then the other fight is just a personal emotional one, you know, which is um you know, 
just figuring out what your process is and it, it evolves and you know getting the I mean the courage to keep going, you know, the faith. It's about faith, not confidence, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, faith is a word that that that's a word that that was occurring to me a lot as I was listening to you talk right there. Faith. I mean, it's a hard to pin down. It's a very nebulous word, but but I think that's so important for any uh, any writing career. Yeah, because confidence uh, implies something else. When you're when it's time to sell something, you need confidence. I would say faith more than hope. I mean, hope is also the thing that keeps you going, but confidence is is a thing that yeah or oh i know cynthia um confidence is a thing that when you're selling something is important but how you convey that confidence is not what you think it's not in like ah you know confidence is quiet and that's what really sells more confidence is a deeper sense of conviction so the only time confidence I think is important is when you're in the process of talking about something that you're working on. The rest of it is faith. Like if I just stick at this long enough, I'm pretty sure there's something down there. Mm-hmm. Confidence doesn't make me do better work. It's like, um, you know, uh, by the way, I just saw someone saying something about creating your own luck. Um, and I'll say this last thing. I, I believe that it's luck, but I also believe it's luck in the way that it, winning a lottery is luck. Meaning, like, however, you know, a raffle, I would say, winning a raffle, let's say. Like, you, if you, if there's a hundred raffle tickets and you have 90 of them, you have a pretty good chance of being lucky, you know. You're not guaranteed it, right? So what are the things that put your raffle tickets in like as many raffle tickets in the basket as possible? It's getting out there and meeting people. It, person, I think it's more creative people than business people, but it's it's all of that. It's make, continuing to make work, continuing to try new things, continuing to take challenges, to push yourself, be willing to fail, et cetera, et cetera. The more you do that, the more raffle tickets go in. OK, I'm going to answer a couple more questions and then. I realize we're gone over already. Can't even believe it. Yeah, this this went super fast, but I, I I think we can have a few more questions. What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, sounds good. Um, I think in general, a lot of the questions, um, you know, have have centered around uh, your career in in general, and 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 again, like what your favorite uh, projects have been, and what your least favorite projects have been. Um, I guess in in general, like which ones do you see? Uh, it seems like there's different approaches to each one, right? Like with Men in Black, you were hired by the by. If I'm correct, you were hired by the studio to write the Men in Black script. Versus like you were going back earlier to Bill and Ted. This was acting out, you know, these two characters with your friend in a. Uh, a studio of of just those four people, right, working working on it and everything. 
Um, it, it, and, and then even most recently, you've been working on, uh, well, No Sudden Move uh, uh, came out in the past couple of years and stuff. And, and the, the tone of that movie in particular is, is definitely a, quite a shift from Bill and Ted, Men in Black, um, some other movies that our students are familiar with and stuff. So I guess my question and, and a question that kind of is a culmination of all, all of these other questions that I've seen in the chat is, is like, you know, which which path have you learned the most from and, and which has guided you the most? Or, or is it a, a culmination of these different pathways that you've you've learned from the craft and you've kind of, you know, moved in, 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 in that direction or, you know, does that make sense? I don't make the delineation that a lot of people do with it. Like, where does an idea come from? Okay. Like if it's something that somebody presents to you or you get from a book or you, you know, or you come up with yourself, like once the idea is like up and running, like to me, it's, um, it's all about the execution of the idea at all times. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I've had ideas stolen from me. Mm got really upset and then looked at the final product. It was ultimately so different than what I had written Mm -hmm. that like nobody even noticed that it was like, you know, um, ultimately it's all about how something, an idea is a doorway through which you just move. And then it's about what it is. The idea is gone. You know, it's like, who are these people that were, you know? Um, So yeah, I mean, they've all been different. And each pro, every I, I treat everything the same whether I'm writing it on spec or it's a job. I have the same amount of seriousness. I work as hard if I'm paying a ton of being paid a ton of money or zero money or anything in between. Um, full circle was a 640 page spec that I wrote and it got made, thank God. Wow. You know, but I kept going and kept going, kept going. Nobody wanted it. I kept going. I just kept going because I felt like I wanted to keep going. Um, the uh, No Sudden Move was spec, Mosaic was spec, Bill and Ted Face the Music was a spec that Chris and I did for 14, you know, tried to get made for a decade and a quarter. Um, and so, so those are just ideas of mine that I'm like, oh, okay. Once in a while, I felt like I sold something, an idea of mine. Spec means writing speculatively, meaning you're not being paid for it. Um, Uh, I think you learn from all of them, you know, you learn different things and, uh, you know, if if it's someone else's idea, I can't write it anyway, unless something in it I lock into. And then once I've locked into, it's like the idea is already way back in the rearview mirror. Um, um, yeah. Uh, Because you're applying, I mean, you're applying curiosity that same motivating curiosity to this other person's idea, right? It it, it goes back to what you were saying a little bit about inspiration. It's it's, inspiration is not something that's going to strike you out of the blue. It's something that you're going to, to the extent that it exists, you're going to apply a particular mindset to to an idea and become inspired, right? To explore it with that curiosity that you referred to earlier. I'm just trying to make stuff work, you know, I'm just trying to like get it to where it works. And, you know, that's it. Like, I don't find, I mean, to me, that's the method. 
you know, and the best things I've written, quote unquote, best things have been just kind of when they worked, like they were the best iteration of it themselves that I could make, that I could get it to be. When I thought I, this could be great or I'm going to make this great. It's not resulted in a better script, uh-huh. you know, it's like, what is like, how do I just make this story work? How do I make, you know, it's been that process from beginning all the way through editing now in full circle. It's like, how do we make this work? And then when it's done, it works, hopefully, you know, uh, yeah. that's the, the goal is just like, get the story to work. What does the story want to be? How do I make it the best version of it? And that's most of my day, week, month, and year. That's most of it is sitting in this room where nobody's looking at me and doing, just trying really hard to make the story work, you know? Um, and what's, what's so great about that is, is that's what every writer faces. You don't have to be a screenwriter to face that. You can be a novelist who's, who's like not showing anything to anybody until you have a finished draft you're still facing that same uh, that same uh, challenge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's it's what it is. It's the job. It's like, do you enjoy being by yourself with your thoughts? <laughs> and if if not, don't do this. Yeah. You know, or, or, or you know. Um, and do you like trying to, like, solve some puzzles and, you know, solve some problems and you know, connect little things like, oh, this little bit worked, this little bit worked. Oh, this now, now there's a slightly bigger part that's working, but now that means something over here isn't working. And like, if you enjoy that process of just constantly like this and like pushing this ball up and then and then up and then down and up and down, that gradually something is starting to appear. And then once it starts to appear, how do you form it? If that's what you like, this is a good job for you. Yeah. <laughs> if all you're looking for is approval from others, it's a bad one. Right. I, it's I interesting feel, that feel like there are so many great questions that maybe I should come another day if people want me and to answer and do one where I just answer the questions. And we would love to have <laughs> yeah. you come back. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, yeah, there's a. I mean, the the questions are are flowing and stuff. I th- I think there's a lot of them that. Um, you've really you've really done a great job addressing tonight and stuff especially for people who are just you know wading into uh waters and stuff with with screenwriting and having those misconceptions of like you got to know people you got to climb vertically you got to and and instead kind of um looking at your peers and 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 those around you and seeing how you can work with each other to to build each other up it's interesting you had mentioned because i was just thinking uh, paul and i were chatting a little earlier today um about how a lot of your movies are kind of structured like puzzles that that need to be solved uh and 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 they they do eventually fall into place i think um i'm not giving away any big uh surprises if i i talk about men in black at this point since it came out in 1997 but you know the idea of (laughs) of where this uh galaxy is and stuff on orion's belt and and like having it all fall into place and then even even like the um the foreshadowing at the beginning with um 
uh, Tommy G- Tommy Lee Jones's character and his partner, how he's retiring and then, you know, kind of full circle at the end with Will Smith taking over for uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character and stuff. Do you often like I mean, is that how you often uh, perceive art as as a puzzle that needs to be solved? Um, or do you ever kind of like to. Uh, you know, pursue projects where where there's a lot of unanswered, like things that are left unanswered or, or left open uh, for the um, viewer to interpretate or interpret and stuff themselves. It depends on what it is. Like every story has a different desire, you know, or different need. Like if it's a puzzle piece type story, like the Now You See Me movies or something, when they work, I think I feel like 65% of the first one worked and like 25% of the second one worked. Um, I think it's about that, and that's the joy. Um, sometimes the story wants to have more open-ended, wants to be more, you know, because that's what will make it more of what it is. Um, on the men, in, specific thing on the men in black scenario, I remember actually saying to them, guys, I know there's something here, but I don't know what it is yet. Like, like I know there's a, a like I, I need to, I knew I needed an idea akin to what became the Orion Spelt idea. And I can't quite remember the moment. I wish I did. Um, usually it's out of need and usually the best solutions come out of desperation. Like you don't have a lot of options. I don't quite remember the Orion's belt thing, but I remember the mo- I remember the moment after when I was like, wait, I got it. I know what it is. Um, and going it because it fit thematically with what I was trying to do. Like, we don't have any sense of real perspective. And I also knew cinematically what that meant. Oh, it's the and in fact, funnily enough. Um. I remember I remember having an idea within the last year where I was like, oh, wait, it shouldn't have been on Ryan's. Like, I, I had an idea for a thing that would have made it clear weirdly. And I was like, oh, I should have done that. And I was like, dude, that was like 30 years ago you were writing that. But um, uh, but like the bill, like one quick thing I'll say is like sometimes it's just you have X number of variables and you have to solve the problem and at the end of Bill and Ted. There's a sequence where they have to get the historical figures out of jail. And they have, for those of you who don't know, there's a, they time travel. They have a phone booth that they time travel in. The phone booth was not our idea. It was originally a van, but the studio thought it was too much like Back to the Future, a car and a car. So the director said, what about a phone booth? And I was like, mm, I didn't know Doctor Who at the time. Um, because, of course, it was pre-internet and there was no... Uh, no, no, I didn't know Doctor Who. But regardless, I was like, oh, OK, we'll make it a phone booth. But um, <laughs> we had to get them out. of. We had to get the historical figures out of jail. But we weren't allowed and we, we had to use the notion that we knew we were going to use the notion of time travel because it was in the you know, basis of the movie. But we had no literally couldn't use special effects. Mm-hmm. We're like we have no there's no budget for special effects. We got to get them out of jail. We got to use time travel and we got to turn it in tomorrow morning. And we tried a bunch of things. I just remember going, what if 
they just don't we just don't write a big time travel sequence, but we, we just assume they time travel after. So then it's like this, a magical thinking idea. And then we wrote a whole bunch. We laughed like crazy for a while <laughs> because it made us laugh. And we came up with a whole bunch of it. It was it was originally like three times as long. And they made us change it because they thought it was too complicated. Now, in hindsight, I wish we hadn't, but that's whatever. Um, but that was just we have these variables and we need to solve it. And that's why sometimes the best ideas come in the re in like a reshoot notion. Like even on, on full circle, we we um, we found ourselves in a situation where we were still in production, we were still filming, and we had made a change early in the production process, and it, it necessitated a change that we hadn't figured out quite late. But we only had like a few days left of shooting, so. It's like we had only we only had these locations available to us, these actors, you know, look uh, available to us. And therefore, the solution was not like we didn't have the whole like everything was possible. Weirdly, we had limited possibilities. And within the limited options, somehow it's easier to solve the problem Mm -hmm. because you you're, you're forced to go, well, what do we got? We have this, this, this and it needs to do this. Well. Okay, we do this, and you actually come up with a solution. Weirdly, having having a lot more options can sometimes screw one up. I guess is the idea. And that's that's kind of a great piece of craft craft advice too, because if you're finding yourself stuck at some plot point in your in a story, maybe the solution is narrow the options. Narrow your options yeah, as a writer. Narrow your options, or go really simply. Like sometimes if you're stuck in a quote like in a plot point like you're stuck in a plot moment and you know for whatever reason you know that that what comes next needs to be there for whatever reason is work backwards Mm -hmm. you know you can you can go well if this you know it's sometimes i will know know an ending and then go well if the ending if that sometimes i'll work to literally work backwards well if that happens then before that this has to happen and then before that this has to happen and then before that, this has to happen. And then sometimes you actually break, you solve something. Um, sometimes when you're stuck on a plot point for a long time, the problem is that the plot point doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And sometimes you have to ask yourself the honest question of what would really happen here or what's the truth? What would our old friend, the truth, say here? Like, why is this character here in this moment? What do they really want? And what's the reality of this? And that usually is. Often getting stuck on a plot point can be a symptom of plotting, uh, putting plot before character sometimes or putting or not having fully structured it or structured it enough or having overstructured it, you know, et cetera. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I think on that note, we've we've gone a half hour over and I just want to thank uh, Ed so much for your for your patience and your and your honesty. Uh, you really shared a lot of personal stuff with us tonight. Um, and I I feel like you shined a light into not only your own process as a writer, but into the writing process shared by many writers. I want to thank Absolutely. you for that. 
Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for your patience. My God. Um, thank you. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I didn't get to probably most of the questions, but I mean, you know, I'm happy to come another another time if if, if that makes sense. If not, I won't, I'll understand. <laughs> we, we, we would love to have you back, Ed. Absolutely. We'll we'll we'll, we'll work something. Oh, out. let me give one more piece of practical advice. Re use recordings and not notes. Like when you listen, like record all your meetings, record all your creative sessions, record all your notes meetings. Don't take notes because when you write notes down, you're you're wasting time and you're also just writing what you think is being said. I record everything. I'm so shocked at what was really said versus what mm. I thought was said, and it it also frees you up to to be more spontaneous. So, okay, awesome. uh, thanks you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you, everyone, for uh, coming for, to tonight's uh, session. Um, our next one was scheduled in May, and uh, we'll feature a panel on, on publishing, and so stay tuned for that as well. But uh, yeah. again, thank you again, Ed, uh, for all of your insights and wisdom. This has been just absolutely wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Take care, everyone. All right.